If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter number 5. 2 Kings chapter number 5. 2 Kings chapter number 5. So, when you and I, we get into a car, we usually have a final destination that we like to go, right? We, we start with an end destination in mind. And some destinations, they don't take a lot of prep work, right? Like, if you're going to go to the grocery store, it's going to take you all of two minutes to realize you need milk and eggs and maybe a few other things. Now, if you have a big shopping list, then, yeah, that might take a little longer, especially if you haven't shopped for a couple weeks. Um, but for the real big trips, we actually take time and plan them out quite a bit, especially if it's family we haven't seen in a long time. We tend to plan that months in advance, possibly even a year in advance, because that's such a big deal to us. You see, every single one of us is on a journey. Every single one of us is on a journey. And that destination is ultimately the most important. The destination that I'm referring to is the de destination of eternity. Whether you're going to be in eternal bliss with Christ or with Satan and his angels. And that destiny is important to be able to see clearly as scripture states for us. Today we're gonna to take a look at a man that actually was outside the norm of Israel. He was actually a Syrian general, and he made a big impact in the word of God. And it's somebody that really reminds us of the fact that all of us are on a journey, including those that were even outside the nation of Israel at this time. In 2 Kings chapter five, we're gonna look at the man Naaman. We're going to look at seven things here specifically in this text in his journey to recovery. Number one, respected and flawed in verse number one. Number two, small and powerful, verse, verses two through three. Number three, searching and off, verses four through seven. Number four, found and instructed, verses eight through ten. Number five, angry and frustrated, verses 11 through 12. Number six, corrected and cleansed, verses 13 and 14. And number seven, devoted and indebted, verses 15 through 16. I promise we won't be here all day. You're thinking seven points. My goodness, where are we going to go? It won't take that long, okay? You have my word. So verse number one, respected and flawed. Let's look at this text. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. So we find out that Naaman here, he's a commander. That means he's in charge of a lot of people. And he actually probably more than likely worked his way up to this position. Number two, we see here that he's a great and honorable man. This man had a great reputation. He was respected by those around him. And he was, uh, he was somebody that others looked up to. Uh, this is a, uh, a trait that all of us should strive for especially if you and I have been reading the book of Proverbs lately, as we have in our reading. The last thing before we, we look at the last point is he was a mighty man of valor. This, this guy was no wimp. He was a warrior for Syria. In fact, to the Syrian army, he was probably almost at the level of David. Um, if you have your Bible, turn back a little bit to uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 34. I want to show you something really quick. 1 Kings chapter 2, ver 22, verses, verse 34. It's an interesting account, and, and I'm going to probably um, blow you away a little bit with something the rabbis actually attribute in this text to Naaman. So 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 34, look at what it says. 
It says, Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. We see here that King Ahab is wounded, and an archer finds specifically a spot between the armor, most likely the abdomen and thighs, and killed Ahab with that. What is interesting is the rabbis believe that the archer was actually Naaman in this text. Because of, go back to 2 Kings chapter 5, because of this phrase, it says, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. So many rabbis hold that Naaman was that archer that killed Ahab, if you will. With all these great things written about Naaman, we do find out that he had one flaw, and it was a deadly one as well. He was a leper. He had leprosy. Um, let, me, let me point out something that Dr. Alan Gillen points out about leprosy. Listen to this. Many have thought leprosy to be a disease of the skin. It is better classified, however, as a disease of the nervous system because the leprosy bacterium attacks the nerves. Leprosy's agent is a rod-shaped bacterium related to tuberculosis bacterium. Leprosy is spread by multiple skin contacts as well as by droplets from the upper respiratory tracts such as nasal secretions that are transmitted from person to person. Its symptoms start in the skin and peripheral nervous system outside the brain and spinal cord, then spread to other parts such as the hands, feet, face, and earlobes. Patients with leprosy experience disfigurement of the skin and bones, twisting of the limbs, and curling of the fingers to form the characteristic claw hand. Facial changes include thickening of the outer ear and collapsing of the nose. Tumor-like growths called lepromus may form on the skin and in the respiratory tract, and the optic nerve may deteriorate. The largest number of deformities develop from loss of pain sensation due to extensive nerve damage. For instance, inattentive patients can pick up a cup of boiling water without flinching. You can just imagine with the great reputation that Naaman has, he was viewed differently as soon as those around him saw him with leprosy. We don't know exactly when he got leprosy, but it's obvious that there was a disconnect because this is mentioned in the text. Naaman, as great as he was, was a flawed man, just like all of us are. We may have great traits that people look to us with, but we all have our flaw, if not one or more. Uh, most of us, it's a lot more than one. The greatest saints in scripture all had flaws. But let's look at something else here in the text. Look at the second point, verses two through three, small and powerful. Look at what it says. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So we see here that with Syria's victories, they brought back a captive little girl to serve them, specifically Naaman and his wife. The girl was to take care of Naaman, Naaman and his wife and take care of whatever needs she had in the house. There's no indication that this was an easy situation for the girl. In fact, more than likely her parents may have been killed in the actual capture. But what we find is that she serves humbly and was moved enough as a slave to bring this, this point up to her master's wife saying, hey, look, I don't wish ill on, on him. If he wants to be healed, have him go talk to a prophet. There's someone I know that will actually be able to heal him of this disease. 
In fact, one of the statements here, look at, if only my master were with the prophet. So if only is such an important statement. You know, she's, she's literally saying, I just wish Naaman knew that if he goes to this prophet, he may actually get the healing he needs. This servant girl is moved enough to tell Naaman's wife, who then tells Naaman the commander, the respected warrior, what she told her. Now, you got to remember, she, she's a nobody. She's not somebody with incredible knowledge or, you know, a philosopher or anything like that. She's just a captive that cares enough for her master to help him the only way she can. Tell him there's healing with a prophet. It doesn't matter all the great things that Naaman had accomplished. He was dying physically and with no hope. So here's the thing. People all around us, they're dying. They're dying of a specific disease, sin. In fact, we're spiritually dead, as Scripture tells us. And the only hope that can be found is in Christ. That is the reason why you can search all you want, but if you don't have Christ, you don't have hope. You can try to find the answers in all the other places, but it won't be the answer that makes the difference. In fact, you and I can't get rid of it no matter what we do ourselves. That's something that Christ himself has to get rid of. And he's the one that takes our sin away. Stop thinking, for those of you that are believers, that you have to have this high intellect and you need to know a lot of things. God can use the simplest people to impact others. This was a little girl. This was a little girl that made a huge impact on others. You and I could be nobody sharing about that somebody who can change their world. The somebody that can heal them of sin, bring the dead back to life. If you and I cared enough for people like this girl, we could, we could impact the world. This girl more than likely lost her family, and yet she still cared for Naaman. We don't even know her name, but we definitely know the impact she made because Scripture writes that down for us. Let's look at number three, searching and off, verses four through seven. It says this, And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus says the girl who is from the land of Israel, then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Nathan, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So Naaman himself gets permission from the king to go ahead and see if there's a way for him to connect with the king of Israel and get healing. Apparently, there's some misunderstanding here because the king of Israel, more than likely in this text, it's Jehoram, thought that Naaman was coming to him specifically for the leprosy healing. And that's why he, he, he all of a sudden just gets scared. Naaman decided to go with what the servant girl said, but he started his search in the wrong place. You see, you have to understand, here's the scenario. Number one, the Syrian king sends Naaman to the king of Israel to be healed. Number two, the king of Israel knows he can't heal Naaman. That's a problem. And number three, the king of Israel is afraid he's done an, he, he has of what he's done here because he's, there's no way that he can heal this man and there's possibly more conflict that's awaiting him between the two nations. In fact, that's one of the reasons he says, I don't, I don't have God-like power here. One of the things that the king of Israel did here is he assumed the worst. 
Uh, I'm sure we never do that, though, right? Like, we never assume the worst in a situation. None of us do that. I, you know, we don't assume that because we, we don't have the perfect family, we can't help other people. We don't assume that because I'm not always faithful in the things that I do that I can't help others. Um, we really, we really fi- fall into this trap ourselves, right? We, we think that when someone's coming to, to us for help that we need to have it all together and we have to be perfect or else we really can't help them. And we, we fall into the same exact trap the king of Israel did here. Here's, here's the thing you have to understand. People are not always going to get it right the first time. You know, if you and I are sharing with them the gospel, they're not going to understand it right the first time normally. Sometimes it takes time for the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. I mean, you even see Jesus in John chapter 3 taking time with Nicodemus to really explain some of the things in the workings of the Spirit. So, as urgent as you are in getting people the truth, care more about them personally than getting them to Christ only to get praise for yourself. It's important that you're doing it for the right reason and you care enough for their soul. There's, there's plenty more to work through here in the text. Look at number four. Found and instructed, verses 8 through 10. Found and instructed, verses 8 through 10. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. So Elisha hears about this problem that the king of Israel is having, because the king of Israel is terrified right now. He's thinking, we're going to go to war again. Remember, Ahab was pierced by a Syrian uh, arrow. And he, and he tells the king to send Naaman his way. Elisha just goes, look, just send him my way. We'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. Uh, Naaman gets redirected to Elisha, but as he arrives at the door, something interesting happens. Elisha doesn't go out and greet him. He actually sends a messenger to him. The messenger tells him, go to Jordan, wash seven times, and then you'll be clean. It doesn't always go the way you would expect it to go. Elisha didn't come out and actually meet Naaman. He sent out a messenger. So when ministering to others, it won't always go the way you would expect at times. It almost seems cold the way that we may minister to others sometimes or or the way that we're ministered by others because sometimes people don't come right out spend the time that that we would like with them, or we sometimes don't exactly spend the time we would like with others. But you should have expectations that, even when they're not met, will not give you the response that Naaman has here. Look at the the fifth point, angry and frustrated. I'm sure none of us have this problem. Angry and frustrated, verses 11 through 12. Look at what it says. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over me and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. So let's just say uh, Naaman was not too thrilled. He was not too thrilled with what's going on here, especially in seeing the messenger boy, if you will. You know, he wanted to see Elisha. In fact, that's what the servant girl told him to do is go visit the prophet. He's going to give, he's going to help you and actually make sure you're healed of this leprosy. So he comes in with his men and his horses. He's obviously probably, you know, got a nice brigade with him and he gets the messenger boy. Not exactly what he expected. Uh, Let's, to put it lightly, Naaman is quite ticked for a few reasons. Number one, 
He got the messenger instead of Elisha himself. I mean, didn't the girl actually say earlier to see the prophet? So why did I get a messenger? That's kind of an interesting point. He expected instant healing. We see that in the text by the prophet's touch. I mean, look at what he actually says here. He says, look, I expected him to call on the name of the Lord and to wave his hand over me. He expected an instant healing. I'm sure people don't do that nowadays. That's been since the beginning of time. People want instant and then the third thing is, of all the rivers he had to tell Naaman, he picked Jordan. I mean, aren't there some better rivers you could send me to? Really? Jordan? It's a dirty river. We have better ones in Syria. That's really what, what Naaman's implying here. Da Naaman is enraged. He's not just a little upset. He's furious about how this all went down. So... If people get angry when you and I share the truth of God's word with them and tell them that Jesus is the only one that saves, you should expect that. I don't know why you and I are surprised. Um, it's almost like shock. People get angry. People get furious. I mean, at the, at the cost of being liked, we should never ignore the truth. See, it'd be great to know people are offended more over our statements of Christ and the gospel than they are over our political statements. That'd be the best thing for people to be offended by us. To remind us of this, Naaman does something that most of us do when we don't like what's going on in our lives. We get angry. I think every person has experienced this at one time or another. We don't find the balance in our lives and we just go right into rage. I'm sure that never happens to us if we haven't eaten enough or anything like that, or, or in this text specifically when the expectation is completely different than what you expected. Every single one of us have mixed, expe mixed expectations and they're different from someone else and then when ours are not met, we don't always just go, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll adjust. Some of us get kind of just as angry as Naaman does here. I mean, it's not like Elisha told the messenger, and this is why it's important. You need to balance grace and truth in how you respond to people, even if you can't care for them the way that they would like, maybe. It's not like Elisha actually told the messenger, I don't really care. <laughs> Just tell him to go wash in the river, and he'll be healed. I mean, that's not, the, that's not what we see here in the text. He sent the messenger, but the messenger wasn't exactly just trying to pick a fight with Naaman here. Um, it's a good thing to be there and be around for others to help. But sometimes... You and I don't have that ability, and it's okay to be able to see if somebody else can help them out for the time being. Elisha sent his messenger. There was, no, there, there was no opposition to Naaman, and that's why he sent him. He just used his messenger to deliver the message of how he was, he was to be healed. Let's look at the sixth point here, though. Verses 13 through 14, corrected and cleansed. Corrected and cleansed. Look at what it says. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So these servants, they, they, they were respectful. And unlike Naaman, they didn't quickly counter what he said and what he was upset about. They waited. It seems like they waited a little time and then approached him. 
and, and told him specifically, look, if, if the prophet asks you to do something courageous, why didn't you do that? Well, you would have done that no problem. You're a warrior. He's asking you to go to a river and just dip seven times. I mean, what's so complicated about that? Look, just because someone's angry about something doesn't mean you and I shouldn't care to help them. I think sometimes we have this perception that someone's angry, I need to stay away, and we never approach. Sometimes you need to let them cool down, just as the servants did here with Naaman. I think this is a good practical application for all of us. If we ever get furious, it's good for people to give us some time to cool down and then come and approach us and kind of go, hey, look, knock that out. You're being ridiculous right now. Just go dip seven times. That's what he's, the, the servants told him. Like, look, it's not that complicated, Naaman. If he asked you to go slay some people, you'd go do that. But he specifically just told you, go dip in the river. That's all. You ever have somebody try to talk to you when you've been in rage? Probably didn't go well, right? That's why Proverbs has a lot of practical advice regarding this. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But also, words fitly spoken, right? So you have to have good timing. I think timing is the key to how we approach people, and I think a lot of us lack that because what happens is as soon as something is brought up that we're upset about or they're upset about, we want to quickly respond. I promise you, um, if you give me a cheeseburger after I've been hungry all day, after the cheeseburger, come talk to me, I'll probably be better. That's just me practically, okay? Make sure it's a big one, though, okay? <laughs> little, little crystals won't cut it for me, all right? It's really quite simple. Naaman just needed to humble himself and stop thinking that he was beyond going to the river and washing seven times. So just as in this case with the servants, we need to take some time and possibly wait before we approach others that are frustrated. Everyone needs to let go of their pride, just like Naaman did here. And we actually have to follow God's commands because sometimes it's actually so easy to be angry for things not being the way that we want. But we all need others to talk some sense into us. All of us need this at different times. From the pastor down to the, just the church member. Every one of us needs others to talk some sense into us. And at times, we just don't want to read the Bible, right? Like, let's be honest. We don't want to read the Bible because we know it'll tell us to just suck it up and be okay. God's got it under control. It's really all right. You're going to be fine. You don't need to freak out. We don't need to throw our tantrum in front of everybody all the time. We can go back, look at the word of God, and it will calm our soul. In fact, it tells us that Naaman goes ahead and does what he's told in washing seven times. And here's what's a really neat thing, is he's restored with smooth skin like a child. That's what the text actually says. It's not Pastor Roman's version. It's what it says in the text. He probably had better skin than all the others around, maybe even his wife. His healing was complete. See, when God cleanses us, he does so completely. The blood of Christ cleanses us, all of us that place our faith in the finished work of Christ. We're cleansed even more so than Naaman. We're restored and recovered to the place of innocence because we're found in Christ. God looks at us as though we've never sinned. If that's what's happened to us, we need to respond in the way that Naaman actually responds here. Look at the last part here in point number seven, verses 15 through 16. Devoted and indebted. Verses 15 and 16. Look at what it says. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift 
from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. See, when you've been touched by grace and when I've been touched by grace, we can't help but respond the way that Naaman does. I know that there's no other God in heaven except, as he says here, in Israel. Naaman goes back to Elisha to thank him personally. Let me encourage you. People have made an impact in your life. People have made an impact in my life. Do you go back and thank them for the impact that they've made? You see, a lot of us, when we're down in the dumps, if you will, like we're, we're, we're really in the low points of life, someone comes along, God usually sends somebody providentially, God's a sovereign God, he knows how to use people in the right time. They come alongside, they encourage us, they build us back up, and we move on our way, and what tends to happen is we kind of do the thing that many in Scripture do, we forget to thank the ones that came along. You know, God is the one that deserves the credit here, but Naaman also knows to go back to Elisha and thank him. You see, many, many people would be more impressed with Christ if we made it more about him than us. And that's what you see with Elisha. He's not about himself here. He's saying, look, this wasn't about me. God's the only one that healed you. I didn't actually heal you, so I'm not taking a gift here. Uh, may our works, the things that we do, show Christ and who he is, not just how amazing we are. See, here's the thing. Naaman does what most of us do when we first come to Christ. He actually feels indebted for this cleansing he's just received. I think every one of us, we go through this experience, particularly if the gospel's made clear to us. We find ourselves struggling with our, with our sin. We find ourselves with no hope. And then Christ comes in. God gives us new life. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts, changes our hearts, makes us soft to Christ. We accept the gospel message. We believe Jesus died and rose again for our sin. And what ends up happening is we, we feel this indebtedness to the gospel. We feel indebted to Christ. And that's exactly what Naaman senses here. He wants to come back to Elisha and give whatever he can because he's just so grateful for what he's just received, this healing of leprosy. But it wasn't Elisha's to take credit for. That was all Christ. And I think sometimes when we find ourselves in the middle of a struggle with somebody else, and it seems like they're not understanding us, and we're not understanding them. Sometimes it's good for us to just step back and see how is, exactly is God working through the situation. And are we doing things biblically? Are we going back and are we working through things proverbially? Because Proverbs has a lot of good practical advice on how to deal with people. Uh, and yet a lot of us, we read everything outside the Bible, and then we go back to the Bible for a couple snippets here and there and wonder why our approach isn't biblical. So in conclusion, here's the, here's the thing. Every one of us, we have a journey in this life. Although we all have different paths that are going to be on our way, there's only two destinations at the end. There's the destination with Christ, with the saints, or eternal judgment with Satan and his demons. Only two destinations. So my only question, very simple question today, this goes out to anybody watching live stream, anyone here, anybody later on listening, by way of podcast, where are you going? See, everybody's on a journey. But where does your journey end? Is it the journey to destruction or recovery? See, if you know that you have Christ, and this is my encouragement to you, then why aren't you sharing more about him to others?
you don't need to be the big shot on TV that you see to make an impact for Christ. You can be just like this little girl that we don't even know her name, but she made a great impact through all, all of history. And we see, see this account here in the Word of God. Now, if you're not sure of your destination, or you, you know for certain, look, I've never placed my faith in Jesus Christ, you need to follow the simple instruction in God's Word. And what Christ has done on your behalf, he died and he rose again, and you need to repent of your sins. That means you turn away from them, you don't identify with them any longer. And you turn to Christ, who will free you from those things and cleanse you completely and give you new life. We want something for you that outlasts this life. We want you to have Christ.